commission a gorgeous thing. Oh, he doesn't know the care he wants. But we've met before. It was a long time ago, I was a kid. Uh, St. Swithin's. It used to be funded by the Wayne Foundation. It's an orphanage. My mom died when I was small in a car accident. I don't really remember it. But uh, my dad got shot a couple years later over a gambling debt. And I remember that one just fine. Not a lot of people know what it feels like to be angry in your bones. I mean, they understand. Your foster parents. Everybody understands for a while. But then they want the angry little kid to do something he knows he can't do. Move on. So after a while, they stop understanding. They send the angry kid to a boy's home. I figured it out too late. You got to learn to hide the anger and practice smiling in the mirror. It's like putting on a mask. So you showed up this one day in a cool car, Pretty girl on your arm. We were so excited. Bruce Wayne, billionaire orphan. I mean, we used to make up stories about you, man. Legends. And you know, with the other kids, that's all it was, just stories. But right when I saw you, I knew who you really were. I'd seen that look on your face before. It's the same one I taught myself. I don't know why you took the fall for Dent's murder. But I'm still a believer in the Batman. Even if you're not. Why did you say that your boy's home used to be funded by the Wayne Foundation? Because the money stopped. Might be time to get some fresh air. Start paying attention to the details. So why did I show this video? Well, it was actually the line uh, in it. It was kind of elusive, but it's the most important thing is um, the realization that somebody else has already gone before through that suffering that you have. And uh, it's, we always wonder about what role does our suffering play. And I realized that I, you know, I shared a lot about, about my mom and what, I was going, what I'm currently going through. And I realized that like, I could really truly relate to and find encouragement when somebody that has already gone before the, the struggles or even currently going through as they're willing to sh share their journey with me and take me by the hand and say, look, I know how you feel. I completely understand. Isn't it cool? It's great to know that somebody has gone before and completely understands what you're going through. Agree? And then when they come and, they, and they step aside and take some time out of their schedules, not conforming to the pattern of the world, so to speak, and, and, uh, and, not, and putting aside their own agendas, just to devote that 10 minutes or 30 minutes to pray for you and say, I know how you feel, John, because my parents uh, are going through the same thing. And it's very encouraging. Why do I say, here's an example, here's the encouragement. Pastor Fritz, can I share it about your dad? His dad is going through cancer. My mom is going through a, 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 a deteriorating disease. Rosanna's own mom is going through a, a depression. All three of us, I could, uh, we could all pray for each other and share and understand what's going through in each of our lives because everyone's in that same type of stage. So it's that community that we should be able to find in this church. The ability to share about our struggles and sufferings, it's bound to happen that one person out here in this midst of fellowship, they would actually say, hey, 
you're going through that too? I understand. Let's join together and journey together. We'll support each other, take each other by the hand. Community, right? Okay. Let's move on. Now that we are on our final part of our series, I thought it would be a good idea to tie everything together then. You know, like uh, we've gone through a long journey, and I understand that. Like, um, it's, it's been, if I count it, it's 12 weeks worth. It was, it was 12 weeks worth of suffering. I, 12 weeks worth of talking about suffering, <laughs> right? <laughs> like 12 weeks worth of suffering. 12 weeks worth talking about suffering. So let's, like, let's just review, do a quick review, if you allow me, okay? Especially for those who may have missed a couple of weeks here and there, this might be a good, good, you know, just a refresh and so that you don't have to go back to the podcast and listen to the whole thing. So day one, first Sunday, chap, like chapter one to four, what, what were we talking about? Well, we were talking about the various roles of pain, right? And uh, we, we, I posed a question, like uh, not a question, but more of a statement that, rose, that raised up a few questions. Like pain is a gift was the statement. And then we go, how is it a gift? Right? That was the question, the response. Well, you know, Philip Yancey in that book, Where is God When It Hurts? And he, he mentioned a few physiological ones, right? To prevent harm, to uh, help us to experience uh, accomplishment and pleasure, or another one is to experience freedom, to exercise our giftedness, etc. That's what the roles of pain is, right? Physiolog physiologically. But then I also provided one last one, and it was a theological one. And which passage did we explore? A very common one called Psalm 23. Remember that one? Where the, the Lord is my shepherd, right? I am fulfilled. I am full, uh, David says. I lack nothing because the, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, we all know uh, we can't, when we were discussing this together, and I'm sure you were doing it in your small groups, you know, the whole idea of shepherding hurts the sheep, right? Sheep, like, it's a lot of whacking and kicking and hooking, right? <laughs> right? And like, nudging them back to the right road that the, um, the shepherd wants the sheep to take. And we realized that... Um, what David really meant was that all the disciplining, the, uh, um, the moving around, the hooking and the, the prodding of God, the pain that he experienced, he found comfort in that. Remember what he said? The rod and staff, it comforts me, they comfort me. Well, it's the shepherding that David found comforting. And why did he say that? Well, we concluded in that week that David, through that rod and staff, it assured him that God was present. It's sort of like me with Annabelle. I gave that example when I was holding Annabelle's hand. Like, uh, if we see something that is uncertain, both of us see this, something uncertain, I would squeeze her hand and hold it a little tighter. She then notices that, ah, my dad sees some, exactly the same thing that I'm seeing. I'm uncomfortable there. I know I need to, to be secure. Does my dad even know and aware that there's danger ahead? And then but when she feels that tightness, that tight squeeze, she, it assures her that my dad knows something already. And he already has a plan for me, and I could trust him that he's going to keep me safe. Follow? So when David does that, sees, okay, I'm in this midst of this valley. You know, Saul, King Saul is ready to kill me. He's like looking at it. He has his henchmen ready to murder me, and I'm in hiding, totally suffering. And I'm getting knocked around, you know, plugging product. Is this comfort? And he realized it is because God is with me. He's like through this rod and staff, it comforts me because I am sure that God is with me. He sees something even way more than I could see. And, he, and I could trust him. Follow? So that's why pain is a gift. Now in chapter 5 and 6, it can be summed up uh, with, uh, with that passage that we looked into from John 9. And that was the dialogue between Jesus and the blind man, right? Remember how it all started? Uh, we, they were walking down the road, and then the disciples go, oh, here's a blind man, Jesus. Who sinned? Remember that one? Who sinned, the parents or him? 
right? Uh, and then Jesus didn't even answer that because he knew exactly what the disciples were looking for, a correlation, basically. Oh, you remember the, the typical correlation that we sometimes fall into? If you suffer, you're bound to have sinned, and you're just basically suffering the punishment. God is punishing you, right? But no, we concluded that it's not about punishment. God is not punishing us. God is not punishing us because we sinned or fell off the tightrope, so to speak, of life. Right? What is it all about? What was it, this whole pain and suffering was all about that the blind man was experiencing? Jesus said that so that the work of God can be revealed through this situation. And so for us, we have to, a lesson that we drew from that, the principle that we drew from that is that through our sufferings, through our pain, through our relational pain, uh, mental pain, physical pain, uh, spiritual pain, it is for God to reveal his love, his mercy, and grace towards us. And, how, and so the question is not about why we are suffering. It's more about how should we respond. And our response should be to look for and to seek out where is God showing his love, grace, and mercy in this moment. You follow? And you know this uh, whole love, grace, and mercy that Jesus was mentioning. Well, who is that then? It's in Jesus. Love, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy is actually embodied in a human being, and that's Jesus, right? And so, through our suffering and pain, how should we respond? It's not about, why is this happening to me? It's more about, where is God's love and mercy and grace being shown in this moment right now? Where is he showing it? And usually, it's right in here. He's revealing it to us in our hearts, reminding us that he is with us, right through it, all the way. Now, in chapter seven, uh, Yancey's book where we carried on with the notion of freedom, right? Uh, I still <laughs> that video that, you guys, that I showed you guys, you know, of um, this movie. And uh, you know, I said, wow, wouldn't it be great then, you know, sometimes I ask myself, wouldn't it be great if you know, God prevented me from making those stupid choices <laughs> that resulted in, those, in the pain that I'm now experiencing, right? Right? Why did I do that? Why didn't God, you were so all-knowing, so, so all-knowing and, you know, and knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. How come you didn't stop me from making that dumb decision? Right? Like, you know, like the, the mental pain that I'm incurring or the physical pain that I'm incurring. Right? Like, the, like, like Wei Wen and I were chatting over it one day. Like, uh, how can, like, you know, all the stuff activities that we did younger, <laughs> when we were younger, like beating up our bodies. Why didn't God really just like, stop us there so that we don't have the arthritis now? <laughs> right? Like, uh, how come, how come he, like, why do you need to stop us? Well, I provided two reasons, right? First one was that God created us in his own image. And Paul says the first, the best image of God is who? Jesus. And if we look at Jesus, Jesus was not confined or uh, built like a robot. He had freedom, didn't he? He had freedom to choose. In fact, right up to the point of Gethsemane, he had the freedom to Escape. He had the freedom to say, you know what? Forget this whole saving the world thing. I'll save my own butt, thank you very much. Now, if he did that, we wouldn't be here, right? But he had ultimate freedom to do that. So God allowed him, because God allowed us to have freedom because we are created in his own image. Our roles, as we were discussing back then, was in that week, was that our roles are to be rulers. And how could we rule if we are not authentic? How can we rule if we don't have that freedom, right? We'll be just slaves if we don't have that freedom. And so God says, I don't want slaves. I want my own image. I want people of my own image to have community. I don't want servants. 
And therefore, he gave us the freedom to choose, to give him authentic love back. And that was the second point. He wanted us to choose him authentically, no strings attached. Right? He wanted us to love him for what it is, for the love that he already gave us, and just to love him back unconditionally. For he has given himself unconditionally for us. And um, you know, every day, uh, what, what is this unconditional love? Well, every day, every day that we feel that we screwed up, we fell short, uh, we, like, we sometimes feel that we misstepped on the tightrope or something, well, guess what? No matter, even if you don't feel loving Jesus today, he still loves you. I still remember Daryl Johnson. I want to close up with a quote. Daryl Johnson one time said, uh, and Rosanna and I were there at, the, at one of his sermons. He used to be the pastor at First Baptist. He says, you know what? One day he was leading communion. Even if you do not feel like loving Jesus today, know this. He loves you every day. Doesn't matter what you've done. He still loves you every day. And praise God for that. The love, grace, and mercy that he has for all of us. Now, a few weeks ago, after that, we uh, went into, uh, sorry, it's not on this slide, my, my bad. And it's like, uh, it was about the conversation between Job and God, right? After Job got all those inflictions of wounds and pains and, you know, it just like, he goes, why? You know, like the entire whole, like, uh, what is it, almost like 28 chapters worth. Like uh, Job was saying, why, 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 why? And uh, God just uh, basically started to answer, right, for the next three chapters, remaining three chapters of the Job. And then he go, and uh, did God give him an answer? No, he didn't. Instead, he told him to shut up and put up, right? <laughs> like, like, literally, like, not that way, but you know what I mean when you read it, right? He's, basically, he says, you know nothing. You are very tiny, right? If you don't know how to run this universe, how dare you tell me how to run the moral universe? So God says, look. Now, God didn't say that in that tone, right? God says, look, if you're that, if you don't even know how the universe runs, right, don't ask why on the moral universe. Just trust me. And so God laid out all that stuff that he has done. Look at the creation. Look at how things are in order, how things are just running on its course. Right? He goes, if I could do that, trust me then. Uh, Jesus one time said like, uh, in one of the parables, if he could clothe the lilies, feed the birds in the air, how much more will he take care of you? The Father will take care of you. Trust him. Right? And then we delved into the uh, next part, and we kicked it off on the second half with a couch interview. Remember that one? With uh, Franca and uh, Fritz, and that was an awesome time, wasn't it? We learned a lot. It was a very practical and how, a, uh, how we should provide care for an individual. And she, one of the uh, highlights for me, I don't know about some of the highlights for you, but I'm sure you have some highlights. One of the highlights for me was about presence. And, uh, you know, I'm... I'm caring for somebody as well, Fritz is as well. You know, how presence is really important and it's not necessary to know the best theological answers or have the best lines to give. It's all about have, being just present with that person. And uh, because we ourselves are image bearers, we have Jesus in us and, uh, we, we, and we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is so powerful beyond your imagination that you, even by the mere presence, people could sense the Holy Spirit. People could sense it, sense him. And so I learned through that idea of that uh, couch interview that we should never downplay just by the mirror of just being there, just by being at the person's bedside. Even though we feel useless because we have no idea what those bells and whistles are on those little monitors, we have no idea how to read those things, nor the charts, what should we do? 
by just the mere presence, people feel the presence of God. Now, last week, we ventured into Romans 12. Oh, wait, I forgot. We, felt that we delved into the whole fear factor. Remember that, too? And um, the two points that I want to make on that one is that fear, first of all, we have to admit that fear does cripple our recovery right, of, from pain. You know, like uh, fear, it correlates with pain. The more we fear, the more pain uh, comes and it gets exasperated. So how do we disarm this fear? And uh, my thesis uh, for that week was that we have to have the greatest fear. The greatest fear of all fears. The fear of all fears is the fear of God. And when I say that, it means that when we fear God, it means that we fear nothing else. Because if we fear God, God who is awesome and powerful and, and can overcome anything, including death, including any phobia we have, then we don't need to fear anything else if that's our ultimate fear. But thank God that in an ironic twist, it has nothing to do with fear of punishment. Remember what that first John said? For that, for love, does, like, there's no fear in great love of God because there's no punishment, because fear is always correlated with punishment. The fear of God that we're talking about here is not to, oh, what is God going to do if we outstep or misstep, right? No. The ironic twist is that this fear of God is the response of this un endless love, this unfailing love. So, in or so our definition, when we, what we concluded was, when, how do we fear God? It's by acknowledging this unfailing love that he has for us. How we can respond to this unfailing love is what it means to fear God. It's this reverence, this respect, yes, but then we have to also further define that, right? So how do we define it further then is to respond well to this unfailing love that he has for us. So let's backtrack. If you know that Jesus, God, forgives you every day and loves you no matter what you do, what you think, what you say, he still loves you. Even though you may feel that you may not feel like loving him back, he still loves you, keeps chasing after you like one of the songs say, how are you supposed to respond then, right? You respond with the fear of God. And how that plays out for each of you is up to you. It's your individual relationship with God. But mine, I have my own too. Okay, now we move into Romans 12. Is everyone following? Am I moving too fast? Is this good for everyone? Yeah, good review? All right, sorry, sorry that just gets a little long, but I think it's important to tie everything together. Romans 12, we ventured into. A very popular one, right? Therefore, do not conform to the patterns of the world that offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That one, right? But we realize that there's a more, there's a therefore, right? Before this pattern. Like, right then and there, right in Romans 12:1, it started with therefore, right? Uh, no matter what translation you have of your Bible, it will always start with a therefore. That means, like, whenever you do a Bible study about any of Paul's letters, every time you hit a therefore, there's got to be a truth before it. There's a truth before the therefore. And what is that truth? That all things, um, Brian mentioned this, uh, like, in one of the passages, like, give thanks to all circumstances. Well, this one is, for all things are from him, through him, and for him. All things, including our sufferings and pain, are from him, through him, and for him. In other words, that responds to the question of why. We don't know, <laughs> right? For it's from, from him, through him, and for him. But then we are also confident 
of this truth that, hey, if everything is from him, so are we from him. And if everything's in him, so are we in him. So no matter what happens to us, no matter what sufferings we go encounter, even the pitfalls that we fall into, the missteps, we are still confident that we are in him and he in us. That he, we will not lose God. He, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ, right? Same passage, by the way, that's where it comes from. So if, if, that's, in the, if that's the truth, then Paul moves on to say, therefore, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. And when we care for people, the lesson that we drew from is that when we provide care for people, what does it mean when Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world? Basically, it's very simple. Set aside ourselves and put others before us. Consider others' interests above ourselves. It's very tough. I gave you guys an example. When you're, when you're caring for somebody and then you, you feel that, man, you're just sitting there doing nothing. Am I really making an impact? Really, we're actually conforming to the pattern of the world when we think that. Because the, the world would say, you know what, John, this is pointless. It's not productive. It's not efficient or effective. You know those corporate words? It's not efficient or effective. It's not getting you any points, right? It's wasting your time. Spending the time here is wasted. That's what the world is telling us. All about performance. All about our selfish desires of, you know, is this worthwhile? But really, Paul says, it's actually not is to set our interests aside and put other people's interests ahead of ours. That's tough. And that's the pattern of the world that we cannot conform to, is to look at ourselves only. The pattern of the world tells us, you know what, it's a waste of time. Don't come here. It's not effective. You know what, stay home. Or it's logistically impossible. It's going to ruin your day, right? But really, that's what the world's trying to tell us. We cannot conform to that. And he lists all the, uh, the gifts, and he says, you know what? Ultimately, the rule of thumb is love must be sincere. And what is that sincerity? Is to put others before ourselves. Follow? Whew. Now, a, le a lesson that I, at, uh, I drew from, the principle I drew from, is that um, I gave you guys an example about prayer. Uh, when I was uh, at, a, at the hospital, uh, you know, uh, with my mom, you know, I was looking out the window and then uh, I took that picture, right? Uh, that black and white picture of the landscape because that's how my heart really felt. You know, this black and white picture. It was just, you know, hopeless and, you know, like, going, what's going on? Then uh, when I posted it, uh, some of you, like I said, and, uh, and some of my friends started texting back going, praying for me. And one of my friends uh, actually texted back a prayer, right? And I shared it with you. And it really meant a lot because why did it mean a lot? Because uh, my friends actually set aside time and space of their own busy day, because I know how busy they are. They literally set aside time and space to pray for me. They would call me, I'm going, can we ch chat and talk, right? And, you know, and it was like, like, sometimes when I look at the clock, it's like a whole half hour worth. And I go, are you sure you have time for me? And they go, yeah, yeah, like, uh, like aren't you busy? No, don't worry about it. We want, I want to pray for you. I want to know how you're feeling and what's going on in your heart. I go, isn't that precious? Is that not awesome to feel that, like that there is somebody there that's willing? That's the type of sacrifice that, and love and sincerity of love that Jesus gives to us and we should emulate to others. And that's how people could experience Christ's love for them, is through us, by not conforming to the pattern of this world. All right.
now, today. All right. Can everyone turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4? We will start there. Hebrews chapter 4. There was a question in our cell group, in our Tuesday cell group, and uh, the person asked a really good question. How do we know that Jesus is suffering alongside with us? How do we know? Because we keep on saying it, right? Jesus is suffering alongside with us. Remember the whole 1 Corinthians um, uh, exploration? And one of the rules, like principles, was Jesus suffers alongside with us? Well, that's the answer. That's the question we would like to delve into today. So let's begin with Hebrews 4, verse 14. Therefore, another therefore, right? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold on, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Every way. Okay, remember that. Right? It's not just the desert, wilderness temptation here. Every way. So for us men, yes, including that. Right? It's every way. Okay, so, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, it's a really good question when we ask, when, where is Jesus? Like, uh, like where, how do we know that he's with us? Because last week we kind of sort of touched this, right? It's through the presence of others, right? That we could sense Jesus' presence. But let's move on and let's elaborate a little bit because it's also for our, like, it runs even further than just the mere presence of people, right, to experience Jesus. First, before we actually get into this, let's begin with a foundational truth because he did mention the therefore. So uh, I don't want to read the entire Hebrews to you. So I think the best way to sum it up was the passage that Brian quoted, and that was in John 16.33. So if we could blast over to John 16.33, that's the foundation that we want to start off with first for this conversation. I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen to that. By the way, this should be like amen. Like you guys should say yes, (laughs) right? When Jesus arrived into this world, okay, remember this, uh, like uh, for what this passage is saying. In this world you are trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Did Jesus die yet? Did he get crucified on the cross yet? No, right? This is chapter 16 here. So what does it mean? That when Jesus arrived into this world, he overcame the world already. When he came into this world, he already overcame the world. So think about that. At Christmas, when we're celebrating Christmas, on his arrival as a baby, evil has already been defeated. He has already overcome the world. He was victorious, victorious over evil, victorious over pain and suffering. However, if we run on that then, however, did that mean that he was free from suffering? That, was he, that he was free from all suffering and temptations? No, because what does the Hebrew say? He was subjected to all temptations. Right? Okay, so he has overcome the world, but he is still experiencing temptations, suffering, and pain, and he still had to go through the cross. But as a victor, as a person that is already victorious, he's victorious through the suffering and pain. And that's what I'm trying to get at here in this, uh, in this particular foundation that we're drawing from. 
is that Jesus, even though he was a victorious and overcome the world, he still went through the pain and suffering, which is, runs parallel to ourselves in our Christian life, isn't it? When we receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, what have we declared? That we have overcome the world. We have overcome our evil sin and evil desire. We have overcome death. When we are baptized, when we get done, what do we do? We rise up and we're victorious. Everybody cheers. It's victorious. You have victory over death and sin. Yet does that mean that life is hunky-dory after that? No, until somebody, like, if you, well, like uh, one of my professors once said, if you come out, like the ideal thing for Christians is that after when you get baptized and come out of the water, you're dead. Right? Because you have, like, no chance of sinning after that, right? But no, like, it doesn't work that way. Like, none of us are that lucky, right? So, like, uh, so we still have suffering. We still have pain, but as victors. So how do we do that? How do we go through this and navigate through all this, uh, all the pains and sufferings we have as victors, right? Through pain and suffering, we, we still can, and even though with pain and suffering can take us for a ride or mop the floor with us, we can still say that we are victors. How do we do that? Well, in the Hebrews passage we read, the author said just that. Jesus, the great high priest, our spokesperson and representative and our example, he says that he is fully qualified to take us through it because he's been there already. He's there, he, like, so you think you have relational problems right now? He did too. You think that you, know, you have arthritis and pain and physical pain and, and he did too. How about poverty? Well, he did too, right? So he has experienced everything. And so what the Hebrews pastor is saying is that he can definitely take you through it by the hand and take you through it because he has been there. He is able to empathize with us in our time of weakness because he became us. But then in the Hebrew says, however, he's, a, he's victorious, and so therefore he'll show us a path, guide us as, through our pain and suffering as victors and not just those who are defeated. Amen? That's the truth that we have to run on uh, as we uh, journey through where is Jesus and all this. Well, so we move on. Where is Jesus then? If he is indeed could relate with us, if he indeed could empathize with us, where is Jesus now, right, as we are going through this? Like, as we are going through our personal pain and suffering, our relational pain, like mental pain, physical pain, uh, like and spiritual pain, where is he in all this then? So we move on to, if you could turn with me to Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. So we carry on with this thought. We are victors, right? We're going through this, uh, this uh, pain and suffering just like Jesus. Because he was victorious, but he had to still go through it. He's leading us through it. So where is he then? And here we should find encouragement in this passage right here. Therefore then, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here we go. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endures such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. So where is Jesus then? Not behind us. He's in front of us. Fixing our eyes. Have you ever been on a... Like, okay, no, I've never been, but I've seen it on cartoons, okay? A dog race, right? You know, when the, uh, it, when, how does a dog race work? What are they chasing after when the dogs are released? A rabbit, and it's like racing them down, right? 
they have their eyes fixed on that, right? For us, we know that Jesus has gone before. He's victorious. He suffered through all the sufferings that we have. Well, guess where he is right now? In front of us. Right now. Right here. Cheering us on. Telling us you could do this because I already went through this. You have physical pain right now? Well, guess what? I'm experiencing the same thing, but I've already gone through it. I'm right in front of you. You have relational pain, rejected, lost, or somebody that like uh, uh, abandoned you or betrayed you? He's right there in front of you, cheering you on, taking you aside. This is why it means that great cloud of witnesses. It's that, these, that during a race, this race of life, we fix our eyes on Jesus because he's right in front of us, leading the way, guiding us through, taking us up by the hand. Sure, uh, there's a lot of good, there's the cross that we all have to bear. He did too. But what comes after the cross, he's, uh, the writer says, joy, an endless joy. Right? No, endless, endless joy. Joy that is set before him through he, as he endured the cross and joy for us. It's right there. So where is Jesus when it hurts? Where is Jesus when we are suffering through pain? Right in front of us. He's right there cheering for us on. You can do this because I did it too, he said. You can do this because I'm going through it with you. And I already went through it ahead of you. And here's the way to do it. And here's the, I'll guide you through it taking you by the hand and guiding you through. Isn't that comforting? To acknowledge that? To realize that he is in front of us? And all we have to do, like one writer would say, is to reach out and take his hand. Reach out, take his hand, and trust him. He's literally leaving his hand in front of us. Would you take his hand? The pioneer and perfecter of faith. You know, the whole idea, uh, when somebody told me that one time uh, I'm a pioneer of ministry, <laughs> made me feel good, right? <laughs> but the reason why he said that was because, uh, uh, actually it was you, Brian, uh, was, uh, uh, you know, there was a, you know, as you pioneer, what does that mean? It means that, it, like, uh, in, a, in terms of life, uh, like, uh, when somebody tells you you're a pioneer, you're actually paving a way, right? You're facing thorns, you're facing weeds, you're whacking through them, right? It, yeah, it hurts, right? It hurts. And you know that this whole self, life of salvation, life as a victor in salvation, redeemed life, right? What does that mean? Well, Jesus is the pioneer of that. He faced the thorns, he faced the weeds, he faced all the struggles that he had to, he hacked it away. That's why we conclude here that Jesus is in front of us. He's actually the pioneer making a path for us, creating a path for us so that we can be victorious and live victorious in light of our pain and suffering. And that, I say amen to that. So, if he is our guide, and if he, and if he continues to cheer us on, and with a humongous cloud of witnesses, you're talking about Abraham and Moses and Elijah, all these clouds of witnesses cheering you on specifically, saying you can do this. You can, because we went through it. Isaiah being sawed in half in a tree trunk. He says, you can do this. You think you have pain? Well, trust me, sawing and having a tree trunk is a lot more painful. But, you know, like, you can do this. He's t- like, so Jesus, representing all the clouds of witnesses, taking you by the hand, saying, reaching out, saying, take my hand. Will you take my hand? Will you? And I pray for all of us that we will. That through our pain and suffering, that we will trust in Jesus. That we know that, Jesus, you've been through it, and I know that you're the pioneer. You already paved the way. I'll guide me through this way. Guide me through this path. I want to close with this little poem, and uh, it's actually a song, 
Brian and I were subjected to it in Regent College. It's not a good tune. It's like not even that catchy. But anyway, it's some old tune. But anyway, the words are good though. The words are really good. So I want to leave it with you uh, on the next slide. This is from St. Patrick's Prayer. It's uh, on his breastplate, and it's quite um, a common prayer for, to, uh, for some of my professors. They start their day off with this, to remind themselves that Christ is before them. So I'll leave it with you, and, uh, we'll, and I'll invite the worship team to come up after I finish this prayer. So let's pray. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arrive, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears.